When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have a big platform. I've really prided myself on being open about things. And I think there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with this diagnosis still, even if you're following all the rules and doing everything right. And I wanted to really bring light to the fact that this is still dangerous and that we still need to be practicing good preventative measures, but that even when you do that, you're not 100% unlikely to get it. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. Today with Mama Dr. Jones, Dr. Danielle Jones, and OBGYN and mother of four. <laughs> People still have four kids these days. Congratulations. Um, you also keep this blog, and I loved the way you sorted it. You had medicine, motherhood, and travel. So I, I kind of want to go in that order, but I, I have a feeling we're, we're not going to. <laughs> Let, let's start with medicine. What's it like to be a, a working doctor with four children? You know, I've I've had kids the entire time I've been a doctor. My twins were born my last year of medical school, and so I really don't know any different. But of course, it is chaotic, especially in the field of obstetrics, where we get calls at any time in the middle of the night or have to work 24-hour shifts and things like that. So I feel like parenthood kind of prepared me for that, just learning how to stay up all night and be interrupted in my sleep and all of those things. So I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it certainly it can be challenging. So you learned quickly that a uh, lack lack of sleep uh, comes in handy sometimes, whether it's in medicine or motherhood. Um, you know, so you you actually deliver babies, correct? Yes, I do. That has to be so rewarding for you. Um, it never gets old. It's it's always fun. You know, there's so many stories um, that that I hear of. You know, I never thought I could get pregnant, or I, I never thought this could happen, and then. And then it happens. Are there any stories that that stand out for for women that really had their dreams of starting a family come true that you find just inspirational? Yeah, I I think that those are some of the patients that I find the most joy in taking care of because being able to walk someone through that journey and then share the happiness at the end with them is really rewarding for both of us. And I think there's a really great way to do that. And then some people don't do it quite as well. So I take a lot of pride in that. And anybody that I've taken care of who's had multiple miscarriages or losses or infertility or stillbirth, any of those things, I mean, there are too many to count. And that's just one of the really low lows of this job that we always hope ends with a really high, happy ending as well. Which brings me to my next question. You know, you go on social media and you see these um, bloggers, influencers posting pictures of their bellies. And and you wonder if they've actually taken the time to think about the other women who are struggling to become pregnant. And they might not want to see these glamorous women with 
big pregnant bellies and skinny everywhere else when that hasn't been their story. Yeah, that's hard. You know, I, I think that it certainly can be very hard on people who are experiencing infertility or loss to see things like that. And then it's kind of a double-edged sword because at the same time, you know, we should be allowed to celebrate things that make us happy. And I think there's a, a right way to do that and a way to be able to do it sensitively as well. Yeah. And speaking of social media, you are huge on social media. Um, <laughs> what What are your thoughts on opening up for the world, whether it's on, you know, your blog or or Instagram or what have you? What, what, what made you do it? What made you stick with it? What are some of the reactions that you get from other people? You know, it's been a long journey. I've been on the internet as a medical professional in some capacity since about 2009. And I was a student then. And it was very weird to share journey through medical school online at that time. Uh, and it, I just thought this is my traveling CV. When patients leave my office and they're really upset about something, those are the only people who leave reviews on Yelp and on Google. But if I have a space where I can educate, where I can show who I am, that this is going to stay with me where patients can see, you know, what I really do and what I care about. And I've always said, I feel like social media allows us to take medicine back to the old days where you knew the neighborhood doctor and he coached the baseball team on the weekends and you knew where he sat in church and you had a baseline level of trust with him because of that. And now social media allows my patients to do that. I, I see it when they come in my office. If they know who I am from social media, and they've looked me up, we start on a much deeper level of trust and understanding that we're on the same team. I love that way to think about it, because I, I almost took, and forgive me if this is somewhat judgmental, the the flip side of that, you know, I regard my doctors as being perfect people, which I know they're not. But in my head, I do better thinking that they are they do no wrong. They're not human. Okay. They're, you're not human to me. But when you, you know, I saw one of your posts how you wore your t-shirt backwards, not once, but twice. And I was like, wow, you know, and, and I had, so yes, you're just like me, you know, a complete mess is basically you showed your, your, your human side, but I was like, you're a doctor. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Put me in my place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're just people. And I think it's important. I think medicine too long has put people on high horses or up on a pedestal and, and nobody's ever going to live up to that. And I think if we need, well, we definitely need to get a regain of trust in the medical profession from society in general. And I truly, truly believe that humanizing the people on the other side of medicine is helpful for that. Speaking of, um, can pregnant women get the COVID-19 vaccine? What's the latest on that? Yeah, so there is so much information on this. And unfortunately, pregnant people were excluded from the trials. And this is something that we as obstetricians really asked not to happen. And we knew that it would, and it did. And so we predicted we'd be in this predicament. The current belief is that it's highly unlikely that this would be dangerous to a fetus, but we don't have that information. And so the way I talk to my patients about this is, you know, it depends on your level of risk and your personal beliefs and, and feelings towards getting the vaccination. If I were pregnant, I personally would choose to get the vaccination because we know how dangerous COVID-19 is in general and that it also causes problems with pregnancy. And we have very little reason from a biologic standpoint to believe that the vaccine would be harmful to a fetus, but a lot of reason to believe that it would be protective to both the person who is pregnant and the baby. 
And I want to know if you would give the vaccine to your four children, but you'll give me the answer when we're momming today continues right after this. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're back on We're Momming today with Mama Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones, thank you for being on with us. And would you give the COVID-19 vaccine if it were approved for emergency use for children? Would you give it to yours? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a little different than the discussion about the vaccine for pregnant people, because although we don't have data on them either, we know that COVID-19 is extraordinarily dangerous in adults and in people who are pregnant in particular. For the kids, I definitely, once we have the data, will give it to my children. But that's one where I probably wouldn't do it prior to that. And, you know, you can't right now anyway, but absolutely, once it's approved, all of my kids will get it and and they know that and they're actually excited about it and about the prospect of hopefully life going back to normal sometime in the next year or so. I, I know that's the thing. My daughter is actually afraid of all shots, but I keep telling her, I'm like, once you can get this one, I'm like, you know, life goes back to normal. So just think of it like that. But but I guess back to the pregnancy question, what, um, what are the risks of contracting COVID-19 while pregnant for, for both the mom and, and the fetus? So all the baseline risks of people who get COVID-19 in general are going to be the same. So in pregnant people, they have all the same risks as someone who isn't pregnant. And then on top of that, we're seeing potentially an increase in risk of ICU admission. Obviously, you know, I know it's been a year and it seems like we should have all the answers, but this is still early and pandemic medicine is hard. And when you're trying to look at populations as small as people who have COVID and are pregnant, and then what the outcomes of that is, we still have limited data. But it does look like you are predisposed to premature delivery, premature rupture of membranes, and some other pregnancy complications, as well as potentially a little bit worse uh, complications for the mom as well. Wow. Okay. So it's scary stuff. Yet, you know, you look at the numbers of of people that have been infected, it's, it's it's crazy. And you and your family are part of those numbers. So I know it must have been tough for you contracting the uh, the virus, but then passing it along to your whole family. What was that like? And what made you open up about it? Because you didn't do so at first. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about it until we really were getting well. And, you know, I needed to spend that time focusing on my family. And there's six of us and we were all sick. And I just, I, I, that was what I needed for my own mental health. The decision to talk about it was really because I I have a big platform. I've really prided myself on being open about things. And I think there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with this diagnosis still, even if you're following all the rules and doing everything right. And I wanted to really bring light to the fact that this is still dangerous and that we still need to be practicing good preventative measures, but that even when you do that, you're not 100% you know, unlikely to get it, it can still happen. And so it was rough, but, and I felt a lot of guilt because I'm pretty sure I was the person who brought it home. I'm not hundred percent certain as my husband had it too, but he was a couple of days after me, but you know, it was, there was a lot there. Yeah. To, to share some family stories. Um, 
there there are a lot of doctors in my in my family, and um, almost all of them have been infected and brought it home and infected their families. And that just makes me wonder, well, did you get it in the office? I mean, yes, you wear all your PPE, but were there times when when you were not careful? You know, it just it just makes you wonder. I mean, when we're talking everything from podiatrists to, to chiropractors to dentists and to, you know, surgeons, all coming down at various points with COVID-19 and infecting basically everybody that they live with. And it's, it you know, it's scary. It is. And, you know, once we both got it, my husband and I, we don't live near family. Is he a doctor? My husband is not. No, he's okay. a web developer. But I think... I don't think I actually got COVID from the hospital. I, I'm not 100% sure where we picked it up. Uh, I think based on the onset of symptoms that it was a community transfer. Got it. Got it. Well, I'm glad you're you're on the mend and, and yes. things are, you know, because that's everyone's worst fear. You know, who's going to get it in our family? And then how do you, you know, not pass it along to everybody else? And then you have to be responsible and kind of do your own contact tracing in a, in a way, like tell the school or tell, you know, if you had a play date, whatever. You're in Texas right now, right? So I work locum work where we travel around and I work at various hospitals. So I, I usually work out of Texas. We're actually in Colorado right now, but we're going back to Texas um, shortly for my next position. Got it. Well, so what's Colorado like now? I'm, I'm in New Jersey and there's really not much that you can do and it's freezing cold outside, which makes it worse. How's Colorado? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's about the same. We spend most of our time inside uh, and and it's very cold outside. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Well, no. Are, is anyone a skier or not really? We do some skiing. Yeah, we've done some skiing. And, you know, we we don't go on days that it's crowded or on the weekends, but we've we've gotten out a couple of times to do some skiing. Okay, back to work. Well, finally to travel. What's the? Uh, I mean, you. Act, I think I saw that you took your family to New Zealand. Did I? Did I see that correctly? Yeah. So when my um, kids were eighteen months and the twins were five, we went to New Zealand, and then the next year we went to Switzerland with our ten-month-old, three-year-old, and six-and-a-half-year-old twins. And yeah, our kids are. They travel all the time. And actually, our plan for this year was to travel internationally, which is how I ended up doing kind of this locum work because I had um, switched my practice up so that I could work at various places. And we were planning to be in different countries every month. And we sold our house and gave away everything we own and had one-way tickets to Hawaii and Japan. And then COVID happened and we got to cancel all of that. Wait, you sold your home and all your belongings to go to, what was it, Hawaii? Is that Hawaii what you said? for a month and then Japan, yeah. And then COVID happened. So wait, what did you do? <laughs> what we're doing now, which is um, a little bit of domestic travel, doing various hospital work wherever I'm needed. Oh, my goodness. So it takes a certain <laughs> person to be able to um, adjust to that sort of, I mean, like, did you have to just go out and buy more clothes or what? Like, what, what, how did that, I, I'm kind of just baffled right now. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. The adjustment was not quick and I was very bitter for a long time. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we still are very minimalist. We, we have a very small amount of clothes, everything we own other than a few things that are in a storage unit fit in our van and we just made it work. That's really cool. That honestly, that, that, you know, it feels good to like kind of shed the layers. Um, so how exactly do you travel 
so far with so many young children? Any tips? Yeah. I mean, our kids have traveled so much over the past eight years that I feel like they just do really well. Obviously, there's a lot of screen time involved. And I that's been a, a point of contention for me because I wish that I could just have them travel well without it. But then I think back to my childhood and we spent all our time on Game Boys when we were in the car. And so, yeah, we do a lot of screen time in the car, but but they travel well and, you know, that's just what they're used to. Um, so we drove for me, this, I used to be spontaneous pre-children, but (laughs) post-children I'm not. So for me, this is very spontaneous. We decided on a Thursday evening that Friday after work, after school, we were going to drive to Florida. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And, um, there was a very quick turn of events, but we were stalking the weather. Like we didn't want to go to Florida in a cold spell, you know? Because it could be cold down there. So we're like, if we're going to go, we want to really be on the beach and, and the pool and all that. And we did it. And the my husband did most of the drive and the kids were on YouTube the entire time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a way of life right now. Whatever keeps you sane, right? <laughs> and, you know, I, we were kind of, you know, we tried, I think, a few times to get the iPads back. And then, you know, they would just start fighting or whatever. So we would, you know, give them the iPads again. And we just basically said, whatever. Like, so they're spending 20 hours on the iPad and then they won't for a week and then they'll get the iPads back for another 20 hours on the return home. But yeah, we kind of just said sign of the times. Like this just makes everybody's commute, if you will, more, uh, more pleasant. But yeah, that was our big story, but it was funny. I said, what do people do before technology, before there was an iPad to entertain them? Yeah. I, you know, I think nobody's kids ever are going to be severely detrimented by being on the iPad during travel, as long as you're getting them out and doing other things and not spending all of your time on screens. I mean, this is a pandemic. People are on their screens more. It's just going to happen. And and we'll, we'll get over that and go back to normal as soon as we're done. It, it seems that your kids have advantages that other kids do not. Can you describe how maybe their teachers or, you know, their friends, moms and dads, how they describe your children? how they're a little bit different, more unique? Yeah, you know, we our kids are homeschooled and and that was a plan for this year before the pandemic and we jumped in a little bit early because of the pandemic. But the kids have had a lot of opportunities that other kids don't have and and we are very appreciative of that. And the, they're very smart and they're well-adjusted and we're proud of how well they've done. But at the same time, I do sometimes worry that this kind of crazy way we live our life, moving around a lot is... Uh, hard on them. And and we want to get back to kind of the normalcy of having roots somewhere in the next few years. Who does the homeschooling? My husband does. Okay. All right. And they listen to him? <laughs> My kids don't, don't listen to me. I was going to say, I, I don't know. I just try to check in every once in a while and make sure it seems like everybody's learning something. <laughs> but it's hard because they're, you know, our youngest is two and then we have a four-year-old. And so they're not really in like official school and they can be very distracting for the eight-year-olds uh, in, who are in second grade. So we want to get back to normal school eventually, but we probably will wait until the pandemic is over. For that. And what, what do your kids say about that? Do they want to go back to normal school? They go back and forth. You know, they they like being home and learning together and having a real flexible schedule. But at the same time, of course, they miss their friends and my my oldest told me the other day that she misses lunch, like we don't feed her here, but she misses lunch in the cafeteria, I guess. So, you know, they, there's pros and cons. 
Well, there's a school stomach, which means they eat like regular amounts at certain times. And then there's the at home stomach, which means they don't eat any meals and they just snack 24 seven. So if you're I'm with so them, glad it's not just us that do you're <laughs> in the kitchen all day long. Mommy, can I have a snack? You, I just made lunch. You had two bites of it. So I say, no, you can't have a snack. The next meal you can eat will be dinner. But then I never stick to it. And I just I'm the chef all day long. Thank you for normalizing that. <laughs> it's true. I, I really don't understand how the school stomach can't become the at-home stomach too. Just don't same, get it. Same problem here. <laughs> What's the favorite? Your Of all the places you've been, and you can tell me how many countries, what was your top two countries? Oh, New Zealand is the top forever and ever. This is our favorite place on the planet of anywhere that I've ever been. And we unfortunately made the decision to go there pretty early on in our marriage. And now we just compare everywhere we go to New Zealand and nothing can compare. So I'm actually looking at some international jobs right now and hoping to get a position in New Zealand sometime uh, this year uh, because we love it there so much. And Switzerland was amazing too. I mean, we love hiking. We love being outside. And so Switzerland and New Zealand are just natural loves for us. Um, I've, Australia is on my list. Not new, How'd you get the kids and the kids went to New Zealand? That's like a how many hour flight? Yes, the kids um, went to New Zealand. We only had three of them then. I was actually super early pregnant with my fourth and didn't know yet. But uh, it's a it was about 16-hour flight, I believe. I can't remember exactly. But they actually did really good on the plane because at that time, they didn't have their own iPads or anything. And so they didn't get a lot of screen time. So the older ones just were so excited to be able to watch movies and just pick whatever they would watch and not have to agree with anybody else that they just watched movies the whole time and slept and they did awesome. Well, I mean, that is that I I know people who won't get on a two hour flight with one child and you get on a 16 hour flight with three. So that's impressive. I think Um, it's helpful to set expectations. If you ever need, you know, to go on a flight like that is just tell them, you know, we're going to get on this flight. We're going to be on there for a whole day and a whole night and kind of get them into like a schedule. And we would get on and we would eat lunch and then we would take a nap and then we would watch a movie. And and you just kind of have to structure it like your day, even though you can't get up and move around quite as much. Yeah. So mentally preparing them for it. Yes. And I guess you could kind of make that an adventure, right? <laughs> they thought it was quite fun the first couple of times. I think right now they'd probably not look forward to it. <laughs> God. Um, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for momming today with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I hope that something that we did talk about today was helpful to your audience. I'm sure it was. Thank you. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.